years later does not affect us in any way. You're listening to the news on RTHK. The impossible takes two days and miracles take three. Where you've got so many different departments and divisions. Shaping investors' expectations. Money for nothing. Good morning and welcome to Money for Nothing with me, Renita Malhotrahora. The S&P 500 rises the most in five weeks as the dollar slips on economy data. Putin appears in public for the first time in 10 days and prices for the U.S. crude oil benchmark mark their lowest settlement in six years. In Asia, the topic of conversation is all about the strength of the U.S. dollar. From the end of June 2014 to the end of January 2015, the dollar has risen 21% against the euro and 13% against the sterling, registering double-digit gains on most major world currencies. But investment implications are less straightforward than the narrative. And today on Money for Nothing, we'll ask John Woods of Citibank why. We'll also talk with CX Chua of Zolora about his company's 2014 milestones as it prepares to celebrate its third anniversary. Connie Bolland from the Economic Research Analysis is our guest host this morning. Good morning, Connie. Good morning, Renita. So, Connie, what's top on your mind today? Dollar strength or the continued fall in oil prices? I think the top of the topic should have been should be the um, the FOMC meeting this week. All eyes are on the language and uh, used by the by the committee and whether the word patience will be dropped. Indeed, U.S. stocks surged as the U.S. dollar retreated and the market looked ahead to a Federal Reserve policy decision in the next two days. The Dow finished 228 points higher at 17,977. The S&P 500 also jumped about a one-third of a percent to 2,081, while the Nasdaq finished 1.2% higher at 4,929. Data showing tepid growth of just 0.1% in U.S. industrial production last month likely lifted confidence that the Fed would take a cautious approach to raising near-zero rates. The dollar's recent gains have raised worries about the drag on U.S. multinationals, but on Monday, the euro rose slightly against the greenback. David Hoffman is a former director of the Office of Management and Budget under President Reagan, and he highlights the U.S.'s $500 billion deficit, saying that markets are in a perilous place and sooner or later there will be a recession. The market's putting in a top. The bottom is falling out of the economy. The Keynesian pettifoggers at the Fed are going to be a cacophony chorus. Okay. trying to explain David. what's going on and why they're m- making a move or not making a move. So uh, how exactly is the international economy going to fall apart? 
Well, first of all, internationally, it's pretty evident that China is uh, sliding a pretty slippery slope. Japan isn't recovering. Europe is in a constant turmoil. Commodity prices everywhere are collapsing, which is a sign that we have deflation worldwide. We're not going to escape it. We haven't decoupled. There's a big story this morning about how the steel industry is getting nailed That's in right. the United States because a China. Lot of steel exports. Well, yes. but it's a big issue. It's not just a little uh, uh, sector. In other words, there's been so much overinvestment in mining and manufacturing worldwide due to financial repression by all the central banks that we now have massive excess capacity. China and the rest of the EM is producing all they can in order to pay their debt. That is flooding into the world economy. It's going to hit us. Our exports are going to cool. Imports are going to rise. The oil industry, obviously, uh, is the major source of job growth that we've had for the last four or five years. That is A now, major source. It, it is all the jobs that have been created since 2009 are in the five shale states. No new jobs net outside of the five shale states. Okay. Looks what, look, look what's happened to the rig count. Since October, it's down 43%. This isn't a minor thing. This is an overnight collapse that is going to ricochet in so, many directions. Wow, what a bear. But uh, given the low valuations in the U.S., it certainly begs the question as to whether there'll be a pullback in equities. Alexander Friedman is the CEO of GAM Holding. Here's what he says. If you're a big pension fund investor and you have to have a lot of fixed in income uh, allocation, where do you go? Because you have negative yields in much of Europe. So you go to the U.S. and you probably reallocate a bit actually into the equity market. So there's actually a lot of demand driving the equity markets, even at higher valuations. Does that mean there'll be a credit bubble? High yield is a general matter, I agree. You've got to be really diligent on the underwriting. Senior loans are probably attractive, again, diligent on the underwriting. Um, but is it a bubble? Not really. It depends on liquidity. There will be a rush to the exit when there's some kind of a big turn of headlines. But if you're a long-term investor, you can probably weather that. Rates will have an initial knee-jerk reaction, but for the points I made earlier, I, don't, I think they'll be capped. The yields will be capped, basically. Mm -hmm. There'll be some political issue in Europe. Maybe it'll Greece, be Greece, and that'll scare people, and you know, people will go into safe havens. But you have to remember, Europe has three things going for it positively, and the market's kind of priced in some perfection. It's got a falling euro, it's got QE, and you've got oil coming down, back to your oil point. So what really would derail that would be some kind of a political event. And people have kind of taken politics off the table in Europe, which is surprising because Greece is not solved, and there are elections in Spain and Portugal, and France and the UK are going through political change as well. So where then do you look for yield? Here's John Bilton, head of global, the head of the global strategy team at J.P. Morgan Asset Management. At the moment, when you look at the major bond markets around the world, despite the fact that the U.S. is growing at a reasonable clip, it's certainly leading the developed markets. It's the longer end of the U.S. Treasury curve, which offers the back the, the pickup in terms of yields. Um, it's worth noting that with the quantitative easing programs in Japan and in Europe, together with um, other general buying of, of uh, G4 bonds, what the, the major bond markets around the world, what we're seeing is some $2.6 trillion of demand trying to fit into $2 trillion worth of supply. And this, of course, is keeping yields at the back end of curves compressed. And as investors are looking for areas where they can move outside of Europe, outside of Japan, to pick up yield, the U.S. Treasury is actually looking remarkably interesting, despite the reasonable level of growth that the U.S. is seeing. All right, let's bring in our first guest of the morning, John Woods, who is the head of fixed income at City Private Bank. Good morning, John. 
in uh, the U.S., you know, on one hand, uh, we've got inflation and on the other, wage targets are below, uh, you know, what uh, they want to be like. Does this mean that the Fed is actually going to slow down on the word patience? What, what are your thoughts? Well, <clears throat> I'm not entirely convinced we're seeing a huge amount of inflation uh, in, the, uh, in the United States. Um, but certainly we are seeing growth in uh, labor market, in the labor market, which is not necessarily being reflected in uh, wages growth. Uh, I, I think that's the big concern for the Fed. Uh, so it, it, it's, it's um, all, almost likely, almost certain that this word patience will be removed, but that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, interest rates will be hiked in June. Um, I, the numbers that we saw out of, for example, the United States last night, and indeed, frankly, for the last um, uh, month or so, ha have been to the soft side. Uh, and on that basis, uh, I think the market's getting a little bit more comfortable now that um, uh, interest rates will be pushed back uh, into the second half of the year. We at City, for example, are forecasting the hike to be in uh, December. But if we continue to see uh, lower oil prices impacting inflation, uh, metrics, then it's possible that that gets pushed back even into 2016. And John, what impact will this actually have? I mean, does it matter, uh, you know, whether they're pushed back sooner or later? I mean, it's not like we're getting yield anywhere else. Well, I think that's a very good point. Uh, the, the reality is, even if they did hike rates uh, um, by 25 basis points or so, uh, I'm not entirely convinced it would impact um, yields in any meaningful way, particularly beyond the, the five-year part of the curve. Um, for example, during 2006, the Fed embarked on a whole range of um, uh, tightening steps, uh, and 10-year bond yields barely responded. So I do think that um, it's likely that yields will uh, remain at these sorts of levels, uh, and we will continue to see buying um, by investors uh, who are um, unimpressed by the types of bond yields you can get in uh, the Eurozone and certainly Japan. Uh, and increasingly, we're seeing just um, um, a substantial amount of liquidity heading to Asia to invest, particularly investment-grade uh, Asian U.S. dollar-denominated bonds. Uh, and uh, I don't see that ending anytime soon. So dollar strength, I mean, how does that actually play into fund flows into Europe and Asia? Uh, well, that's actually the huge issue of the day, uh, the impact of dollar stress. Now, at a certain point, the, the dollar is self-adjusting, which is basically a way of saying uh, if the U.S. puts up rates, the dollar that will strengthen uh, and that will start to impact it, that, that will start to impact essentially monetary policy. A stronger dollar in the United States is essentially um, a drag on growth. So, so it's self-adjusting on that basis. But uh, around, particularly Asia, uh, dollar strength is usually um, associated with equity market weakness. The point being that um, as the dollar strengthens, people um, are less willing to keep their money in local currencies, which would be weakening against the dollar, uh, and so unwind their equity positions uh, and purchase uh, US dollar-denominated assets instead. So we have to be very, very careful um, over the next, uh, I guess, couple of quarters, monitoring dollar strength and seeing if its negative impact on local risk assets uh, is, uh, is material. Uh, it's a very important issue for Asia at the moment. Connie, you had some thoughts? Yes, uh, John, you mentioned about the uh, U.S. dollar strength. I just wonder whether this um, strength strengthening uh, phenomenon is a temporary, uh, you know, phenomenon rather than 
a reversal of the trend, the downward trend that we've seen for the last 10, 15, 20 years? That's actually also a very, very good question. You're absolutely right that the, 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 the dollar has been weakening really for, um, since, uh, for the last 30 years. It's only very recently that we've broken out of that downward trend <clears throat> and are beginning to see um, an upward move in the dollar. And obviously the reason is so-called uh, divergence. The U.S. is growing um, and developed markets are not. We're seeing uh, obviously very low growth, uh, if not recession, in certain parts of uh, the Eurozone. Japan is very weak. China is slowing, uh, and all these countries on what's called an interest rate differential make uh, the U.S. dollar look that much more attractive. So the, the risk to the view, obviously, and the risk to the dollar is that um, we begin to see growth, for example, in the eurozone, and that starts to impact the euro. The euro starts to strengthen, and the dollar will weaken. Um, uh, we hope that the QE exercise in Japan will um, trigger uh, growth and, and, and some strength in the yen, uh, and that would be sufficient to reverse the dollar slide. Uh, sorry, the, the dollar strength. But until that happens, uh, I think we can expect to see continued um, U.S. dollar strength um, alongside U.S. Um, GDP growth. Okay, John, uh, you know, you mentioned that, you know, the strength of the U.S. dollar is associated with weak equity markets in Asia. Now, what about places like India that uh, appear to run on their own steam? Yes, that, that's, uh, that is the case. Uh, uh, the, the dollar relationship um, is at its uh, highest, particularly where an economy may uh, have a large trading relationship, uh, for example, with uh, the United States. Um, and then, obviously, the transmission mechanisms or, or, the, or the, 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 the connections between, for example, Singapore, Hong Kong, Korea, Taiwan, these types of exporting nations uh, is, all the, is all the more stronger. India actually has a very low level of exposure, export exposure, to the West. Um, it would like it to grow, but it's very much a domestic-oriented economy. And on that basis, uh, its equity markets tend to be a lot more insular and a lot less exposed to the volatilities of global trade. Uh, but that said, um, an awful lot of money uh, has flowed into India, um, clearly, boosting its uh, equity markets to the, the sorts of levels we're seeing at the moment. But even in India, we have to be very um, concerned that, uh, uh, that the strengthening dollar, uh, it's a numerator and denominator effect, but the strengthening dollar uh, will have a negative impact um, on on Asian currencies, uh, mm. and we have to be very careful that, uh, you know, the, the, the INR, for all its strengths and for all the, the, the strength in the, the economy at the moment, um, has to be carefully managed. Okay, so negative impact on Asian currencies, negative impact uh, overall on Asian markets. Now, what about fixed income? If you want to be in fixed income, where are you looking to buy? Uh, that really is uh, a U.S. dollar-denominated uh, recommendation. Uh, we would recommend clients uh, focus firstly on U.S. dollar-denominated bonds, in particular investment-grade bonds. So rather than buying uh, one-denominated or INR-denominated or IDR-denominated bonds, uh, buy the U.S. dollar bond uh, and that way benefit from um, the uh, appreciation of the U.S. dollar. Asian bond yields, by the way, are on average and on a like-for-like -like basis so much more attractive uh, than their counterparts in the United States. So, for example, a five-year triple B um, bond in Asia yields about 1%, 1.2% more than a similar 
uh, issue in, uh, in the United States. So on that basis, we're seeing a huge amount of interest uh, and flows into the asset class. Uh, and I expect to see that continue over the course of uh, this year. And when you say Asian bonds, uh, where in Asia and are you talking corporate bonds? Um, <clears throat> both corporate and sovereign, actually. So, for example, if a Hutch does a U.S. dollar deal, we see a lot of interest in it. Or if um, uh, a Thai uh, bank does a, um, a U.S. dollar deal, there's interest. Uh, at the moment, the bulk of the issuance um, has been coming from China. Uh, typically, there it tends to be some sort of support for um, a China name through a, what's called a letter of credit, a standby letter of credit, to provide investors with a little more comfort. But China has been by far the most active issuer in the dollar space over the last two years. And it's also the case that there's been a huge amount of investor interest with uh, books and bonds often oversubscribed multiple times. What about uh, contrarian positions, perhaps uh, European periphery bonds, Brazil, even Russia? Yep. Um, we tend to, um, as, a, as a, a global investment committee, um, steer clear of what we consider to be uh, somewhat higher uh, uh, risk uh, positions. So, for example, we're underweight um, emerging market debt, uh, and by that I mean the Russias and the Brazils uh, of this world, um, we're actually even underweight and continue to be underweight um, the, uh, the core government bonds in the Eurozone, basically because of the very poor yield. Uh, and in, in the case of um, uh, Greece and um, some of these slightly more risky peripherals, uh, there's a huge amount of political risk, which I, I don't think we're being adequately compensated for as investors. So uh, our overweights tend to be in developed market high yield, uh, and uh, obviously in the Asian dollar space uh, that, uh, that I mentioned. Connie? Yes, certainly with the uh, very low and uh, falling oil prices, uh, that must be quite positive for the Asian economies because that means that a lot of the central banks there can actually have room to cut rates to, um, to boost growth, and that would be positive for the Asian fixed income uh, space, don't you think? Uh, y- yes, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, there is definitely a theme of consumers and producers um, at work here, and Asia is absolutely a beneficiary of that. Thailand actually is, is the highest beneficiary uh, of, that, of that lower oil theme. Uh, it hasn't yet started feeding into growth per se. I think it's certainly supporting it. Um, but it's hard to point to any particular country with, uh, and identify a surge in growth. Uh, what we are seeing is that it's putting downward pressure on inflation metrics, which is um, <clears throat> positive excuse me, positive to the extent uh, central banks can um, revert to an easier monetary policy. <clears throat> and, and I think that's extremely uh, supportive. Uh, but, uh, you know, the big thing for Asian central banks at the moment is also trying to support their currencies. Uh, and if they switch to an easier monetary policy, then obviously that doesn't provide such a, a great deal of support for the currencies. Uh, and uh, we see uh, Asian currencies weakening um, across the board. Uh, Asian central banks also have to take into account the effect of the weakening of dollar-yen, 60-odd percent uh, since 2012. That also has a very material impact, uh, almost a, a terms of trade shock uh, on relative competitiveness across the region. Uh, and um, Asian central banks also have to be aware that they need to remain competitive versus the yen, uh, particularly if they're exporting into the United United States. So all this tends to mean, and I think one of your speakers alluded to it uh, a little earlier, 
all of it means is that Asians now are able to export uh, to developed markets um, with uh, weaker currencies, which means their goods and services traded are, uh, are cheaper in U.S. dollar terms. Uh, and that also has a what's called deflationary effect uh, on countries, um, for example, the United States, where uh, even more downward pressure, in addition to oil, but even more downward pressure is placed on inflation metrics. And again, that's one of the reasons, to come back to your question, why I do believe it's positive for fixed income, because it means that there is not so much uh, weaker price pressures. It means yields are, uh, are remain compressed at these sorts of levels. There's no need um, to uh, for bond yields to rise if there's very little evidence of uh, inflation. Uh, and with lower bond yields, it's positive for uh, investors, uh, bond investors, obviously, because it means um, bond prices continue to rise. John, thank you so much for joining us this morning. That is John Woods. He's the head of fixed income at City Private Bank. The Nikkei is up uh, 176 points to 19,422. Australia's ASX index is up uh, 43 points to 5,812. And in currencies, one euro is currently worth 1.05 US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 121 yen. And the pound sterling will buy you 11 Hong Kong dollars and 51 cents. The road is not for text messaging, nor for social networking. And of course, not for mobile games. Drivers should always be on the alert. Those who use mobile phones or tablets while driving are risking their lives. For safety's sake, keep your hands on the steering wheel and your eyes on the road. No distractions. Drivers should pay attention to the road ahead. The time is now 8.24 a.m. and Zalora is celebrating its third birthday and will open up its first pop-up shop in Hong Kong shortly. Uh, CX, uh, CX Chua, the managing director of Zalora Hong Kong, joins us on the show now uh, to discuss further. Good morning, CX. Hi, morning, Renita. So, CX, a uh, very exciting uh, time, you know, for Zalora Hong Kong. Uh, tell us a little bit about your milestones last year and what's on the cards for this year. Sure. Uh it's been an exciting 2014 for us. Uh, we saw such strong growth, not just in Hong Kong, but across the 10 regions that we operate in. In terms of key milestones in 2014, we've got uh, a few exciting things that happened. We launched a new platform, our marketplace platform, that allows us to bring on local designers in each of our countries. Uh, we think that's a great way to support local designers and also a great way to bring to our customers a wider range of products. So that was pretty exciting. We launched our own private label, the Zalora Collection, in August last year as well. Uh, and we also executed quite a few uh, sort of uh, region-wide initiatives. Uh, the key one among them is our 12-12 online fever event, which we coordinated across the entire region. We had about 150 e-commerce partners across different verticals, all working together to try to raise uh, e-commerce adoption in the various markets that we operate in. So, so definitely a very exciting 2014 for us. Yeah, lots of localization strategies. I mean, before you uh, sort of started focusing on local designers, where were your designers from? Were they from the West, from here? Yeah, so uh, when we think about the products that, our, that we want to bring to our customers, and in fact, the kind of uh, products that our customers demand for, 
we bring to the customers products from different areas. So we've got sort of, you know, the high street international brands like River Island, Dorothy Perkins, Nike, Mango, and so on. We've got uh, local, uh, local regional designers that we bring on. Uh, so in Hong Kong, for example, we've got Bread and Butter, for example, a key Hong Kong brand. We bring on, uh, we've also got our private label, that, uh, like I just mentioned, that we cater to sort of uh, the fast fashion, well-priced uh, demand that people have for, for uh, our products. And is that designed by local designers? Absolutely. So we have, a, we have our own in-house design team, and they, uh, most of them sit in Singapore, but uh, we make sure that we cater to all the local tastes of the various markets that we operate in as well. So uh, I can imagine with all of your growth in e-commerce, you must be affecting uh, positively the development of the logistics industry here in Hong Kong too. Uh, yes, I think logistics, as you know, for e-commerce is critical. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about bringing the product into the hands of the customer physically. So uh, both uh, bulk shipping uh, as well as sort of B2C shipping for us, uh, those two uh, in terms of logistics, those are both critical to our business. And we've been very fortunate to be able to sort of tie up uh, strong partnerships with local service providers. In many of the markets where the logistics infrastructure is not as strong, in say Indonesia and Philippines and Vietnam, we've actually invested in setting up our own in-house local logistics teams as well. So absolutely right. You know, logistics is critical to e-commerce for us. Yeah. Connie, you know, Hong Kong is such a shopping hub of not just Asia, but I think the world. What do you think of, uh, you know, the idea of traditional retailers versus this exciting new kind of platform that uh, Zalora has established? Well, I think the retail industry has to adapt to the uh, ever-growing e-commerce platforms because uh, obviously for some of the products, uh, you can actually... Uh, buy it more cheaply and much faster from the online platforms. But there are things that the retail industry cannot uh, sort of get rid of um, in terms of actual physical appearances or uh, physical trial by the customers. So they will have to work out which one is more uh, sort of suitable for putting um, display on, in the display window and which one is more suitable for using the online services uh, in order to survive. And, and clearly, there can be a combination of the two for uh, the retail industry as well, because given the very expensive rental space in Hong Kong, um, you know, using a combination of um, the online services to attract and promote the services and, and products probably will also add to their uh, you know, uh, attractiveness to the customers. CX, is there one area or the other that you'll focus more on this year? Uh, we will make sure that we're, we're going to be working on multiple things. But for us, it's a constant effort to make sure that customer experience is improved. So this year, among some of the exciting customer experience improvement initiatives we're running, uh, we expect to launch express delivery in Hong Kong very soon. We expect to launch uh, convenience store pickups and drop-offs very soon. Uh, and we hope to be able to sort of, in general, be able to deliver better, faster products to our customers. So I think that for us will always be an ongoing basis, well, besides the pop-up store, of course. Of course. All right. Well, good luck with it all. Very exciting news. And thank you for joining us this morning. That is CX Chua. He's the Managing Director of Zalora Hong Kong. A quick look at the numbers before we wrap up the show. The Nikkei is up 150 points to one, uh, excuse me, 19,397. Australia's ASX index up 
50 points to 5,819. And Sol's Kospi up 11 points to 1,999. Gold is currently valued at $1,155 per ounce in Brent crude oil at $54.29. So, Connie, all eyes are on the Fed meeting and the word patience. Will it be removed or will it not in 20 seconds or less? Any final other thoughts before we depart? Um, no, I think today we've covered most of the uh, major events of this week and uh, really just watch out for the language used and uh, see where the first main concern is because obviously they have a lot of uh, criteria before they consider even a rate cut, I mean rate rise. Uh, so far we only have the labour market growth but not wage growth as we have heard earlier and other things. So yeah, um, just see where the concerns are. All right, Connie, thank you so much for joining us uh, this morning and every morning on a Tuesday. That is Connie Bolland, and uh, she is the founder and chief economist at Hong Kong Economic Research Analysis. And I'm Renita Malhotra-Hora, closing up Money for Nothing this morning. The weather forecast for today will be mainly cloudy, one or two light rain patches at first, humid with fog patches in the morning and night. The temperature right now is 21 degrees Celsius, and the relative humidity is 94%. Time for the half-hour news summary with Sam Butler. The assistant director of the Marine Department and a retired ship inspector have been arrested over the Lama ferry crash, which killed 39 people in 2012. 